This is our last week in a series that uh, we've been talking about suffering. Again, um, the passage was too large to, to give you in your worship guide. So I'll just have you turn to 1 John. Um, the book of 1 John is toward the end of the New Testament. So if you go, to, if you go all the way to the maps, you want to hang a left a little more than Revelation, keep on going a little bit. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. So that, uh, any CBR people in here? You don't have to raise your hand, but uh, CBR stands for the Community Bible Reading Plan, where some of us are reading the Bible together. And so every single morning, we all read the exact same passage every single morning. It really is great. We just got through 1st John, and um, those were wonderful, wonderful re um, reflections. So hopefully some of that will come to you. So 1st John... One, uh, or First John chapter 3, verse 16. And you're just going to have to use your finger and just continue um, um, just to follow. First John 3 says this, By this we know love, that he, that's Jesus, that Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Jump up to 4 verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Meaning um, something this is talking about previously. For he... Who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. That's a gospel truth. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we, ought, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he, does not, uh, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he, ha uh, love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Father in Christ Jesus, we pray that for the blessing of God's word, that this will be the living and active work among us. Amen. So this is our last series on suffering. And up to this point in the series, you and I have been pointed to the type of suffering that actually comes to us that actually lands on our front doorstep, whether we like it or not. The pain, the suffering, all of those things just actually come as a wave and breaks on us and in our lives. 
It's a cruel reality that suffering comes. But it's a reality, nonetheless, that suffering will come to your life. That's inevitable, and that's what we've been talking about over and over and over again. You see, because no one in their right mind would ask for, and no one has done something wrong enough for brain cancer to show up on someone's front door. And yet that's what happened this spring with one of our church members. No one has thought bad enough thoughts for prostate cancer to grow. And yet that's what has happened to one of our elders this spring. No one in their right mind would ever ask that after three weeks of marriage, that extreme health problems come and land on our front door. And yet that's what's happened. It's getting closer and closer. This is what happens. It's not if, it's, it's when things happen. No one can predict no one can predict a downturn in the economy that will cause the loss of your job when your company downsizes or what have you. No one wants that spouse who chooses someone else for no apparent reason. Sometimes suffering simply comes our way and lands on us. And so what do we do? We set out for a month to equip the saints to equip you and I on what, it would, what we need to happen when that type of suffering comes onto us. So week one, we opened up to 1 Peter 1, you remember? And we looked at this passage, and we dissected it, and we found six principles of suffering, right? And we just went through it at breakneck speed because we needed to see these principles in 1 Peter 1. And so we understood the purpose of suffering. And then the second week, we took out the entire book of Job. Remember that? 42 chapters. And we did the entire arc of Job's life. And we saw the different stages of suffering that one man went through so that you and I, so we, we could be able to understand exactly where we are. And so we would link up and we would find our way aligning ourselves with, with Job. And as he suffered, we would be like, okay, so maybe that's what I'm experiencing. And so that was week two. Last week, we talked about this phrase, this idea that we have union with Christ. And there's two phrases that really matter. Number one is that we are in Christ Jesus. And so as Christ Jesus reigns and rules, somehow, someway, he allows us to be housed inside him. Over and over, this phrase, in Christ, 170 times in Paul's letters, he describes our relationship as in Christ Jesus. We refer to ourselves as Christians, and that's only in the Bible three times. 170 times truly outweighs that. Why? Because Christians or Christianity, that's a title. In Christ talks about a relationship with him. And so where does our righteousness come from? Your goodness and your righteousness and your holiness? No, the righteousness that God sees is not yours, but instead it is the righteousness of Christ that has been bestowed upon you. Where is your holiness found? In your perfection? No, but it's Christ's perfection in us. And that over and over and over throughout the New Testament, we are found in Christ. But even as we read today in verse 4, uh, chapter 4, we said that Christ also is in us. 
that in our body and in our shape, the power of God rests inside us. So we ask Jesus into our hearts, right? Or we, allow, we see God in our lives, and this is the power that allows us to move through life and to holiness is because Christ's strength through us. That's a fancy word called sanctification in which we are in process or we are in progress toward Christ-likeness. And here's where this little graphic comes in because when Jesus comes into our lives, he will take us on a similar journey that he has been on in a form of sanctification, the form of progress or progress. And the way that we're able to move forward is oftentimes through suffering. The way that you and I drive the impurities out of our hearts oftentimes is going down first before we go up. And we need to not be shocked when the trials and the tremors, right, and the tumors and the anxiety comes our way. And what Jesus promises us, that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, and you are not alone here, but this is the very place that God wants you oftentimes because that will purge your heart and help you cling to Jesus. Over and over and over we heard these things. And so when Paul Miller has this term, we like it because it's just one little phrase and one little graphic. So that when you go through your next season of suffering, you at least have something in mind for you to be able to get through the day with. And this is simply what he says. It's just, just a reduction of a, a book that's about 300 pages. Um, it's simply this, that your life will take his shape. Right? That's simple. But this also takes away the stigma that, Lord, why? Why would you allow this to happen? This answers that question. Why would he allow it to happen? Because our life now takes Jesus' shape and that we know for sure that he was a man acquainted with many sorrows and grief. And so we should not be ashamed, uh, surprised when our life will take his shape. This is what it looks like. The shape of Jesus' life will be the shape of ours. And so this series is meant to build, build and equip the saints for the work that will happen and to anticipate that our lives will look like this over and over because what we want is we want you and I to suffer well. Oftentimes, you and I don't suffer well. But then there's another degree, not just suffering well, but like Samantha McNeil mentioned last week, we want to suffer and be in such pain and turmoil to cling to him and only him, the anchor of our souls, and be able to, at some point, exalt Christ and glorify God in our sufferings. Now, that's totally different. That's different from just surviving a, a place of turmoil and pain, right? And so that's what we want. We want to be able to praise God well. Today... We're going to be talking about the second form or another type of suffering. The first type of suffering is when, when, when suffering comes to you. It actually lands on your doorstep. Well, today, um, we're going to be talking about the opposite, right? The other side of the coin, where instead you turn towards suffering, right? And you take a strategic step toward suffering, where you cognitively take a step towards suffering suffering, where you, because of faith and obedience to Christ Jesus, you walk toward that thing that you know will hurt 
you. Because in the same way that things happen to Jesus, more often than not, Jesus turned toward that thing and walked toward it, anticipating that suffering would come upon our lives. And so when we do this, we're going to break it down pretty easily. We're simply going to say that it is up to us. The other side of the coin is that you and I, oftentimes, we must choose to suffer, right? There's an ING because it's just going to continue, like, ongoing, right? We're just going to, we're choosing to suffer. That's our teaching, y'all, right? I mean, that's, that's, uh, we live in a comfort age. Why would we do this? And yet, over and over. So here's what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to choose, choosing to obey the greatest commandment. And we're going to see some things here in this, this one word, obedience. Remember Philippians 2, where Jesus was obedient to death, even death on the cross, that oftentimes just obeying the great commandment, right? The greatest commandment is actually an invitation to suffer. So we're going to talk about this. Number two, we're going to talk about choosing to love in God's way. We're actually going to track a journey or track a narrative through what God uh, has done and say this is how he has laid it out and we're going to do that for us. And then lastly, we're going to see a picture. We're going to see a demonstration of what actually love looks like. Over and over and over, we're going to see this passage come alive for us in that we will look how to choose to suffer by obeying the great commandment of the greatest commandment choosing the love, uh, to love God's way, and then also to the demonstration of God's love. Okay, let's get to the greatest commandment. Um, if you look at 1 John 4, 21, uh, uh, actually uh, 19 and following, you're going to see this. 1 John 4, 19 and following. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who do, does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment. This is John, right? Like paraphrasing Jesus, who's paraphrasing the, the, the Old Testament. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The great the greatest commandment, right? To love God and to love others. This is the greatest commandment here. It's just simply this. To love God and to love others. This is what we hear in Mark chapter 12. We studied it last semester as we were journeying through the gospel of, of Mark together. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And also to love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the greatest commandment in which all things dwell. And this is how Jesus answers it, so this is how we are. But how exactly are we to love God? Or how exactly are we to love others? Love is a prickly little word, isn't it? Because you and I throw away, throw around love like it was, mm, there's no analogy there. I just dishing it out like, someone help. Is there any of this? Any, uh, like, What? Dashing, dishing it out like mashed potatoes. I don't know what that means. Oh, uh, oh, okay. Yes, Jessica uh, Running is now helping with the sermon illustrations. Thank you. She loves God like she loves mashed potatoes or something. I'm, I'm not real sure where we're going with this. <laughs> okay, now there's a family feud on what's better, the mac and cheese. Or the, okay, all right. So we're... The, the, 
Uh, we do that. Crowd participation 101. Um, we love God and love because it's a prickly little word, and we use it in all types of scenarios. I love my grandmother's cooking. And we'll say that in the same way that we'll say, I love my fiancé. And yet this one word matches both, and yet your fiancé, no matter how great grandma's cooking is, it better not compare to who she is. Amen? All right, that's just the way it is. That we love, like, mashed potatoes in the same way that we love Christmas morning, right? There's just the same word, but bad comparison. That we love the woman who gave birth to us in the same way that we say we love the last Cardi B hit, right? Who's Cardi B? I don't know, right? She's on all the charts. I looked, right? And we just say it like it was the same thing, but it's not. It's not. This one word is not all those things. In English, it is, but gladly. In the Greek New Testament, we have three words for this word love. One is a word for kind of erotic love and what we would talk about, sexuality and intimacy, those kinds of things. The other one is what we know of like the city of brotherly love, philia, right? So that's just this kind of companionship. And then there's this other word called agape. And agape is another word for choosing, I came to realize. You see, because at the point is that agape is, is not primarily a feeling. It's not something that you feel towards someone because they are able to give back to you. I love you, darling, because you're so beautiful to me. Or I love you, honey, because you're able to provide. Like there's, that, that's not agape love. It's, it's not reciprocal in the fact that it's actually a choice. You don't fall in love underneath agape. You choose to love. It's a choice or a, a preference. And so this is preferential direction. So when you think love, especially in light of what the New Testament characterizes as love, it's actually a choice that you make. That's why when you on your, married, uh, on your, on your wedding day, you do not simply say, I love you in space and time because she's beautiful and it's an amazing day. The word love, and since we're choosing, that's actually connected to the word covenant. And it's not I love you. It's actually I will love you no matter what. Now that has some depth. And all types of relationships throughout the New Testament attaches the word agape, right? Whoops, sorry. Church, the word agape, you know, to this idea. 1 John 4.20 says this, that who can say, I love you, but then also hate his brother. You can't love God and hate him. You can't hate him and love them. It's just impossible to see these types of things because love and agape are two separate or, two, or one singular, singular phrase. We, are, we have to choose to obey God's greatest commandment, which is to love God and to love others, which is a choice that has to be made. The New Testament says that God loves agapes us. The Bible also says that God agapes Christ. And then the Gospels would say that Christ agapes God. And then it says that God agapes people. And that people agape 
God and that people agape God, uh, uh, other people. And so we see whether it's God to himself or, or to Christ or Christ back to God or God to people or people back to God or just companionship. It's all over the place, over and over and over. And what we want to say is that when we t- choose to obey, it's choosing to take a step toward love. And that can be very dangerous, especially the way the New Testament defines what agape love is, is more than a feeling. There's got to be more than that. And what Jesus does when he thinks about love, he does more than just talk. In fact, this is how we know what love is. 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The type of love that Jesus is talking to us and commanding to us is more than just feelings. That this is how you know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We now have the strictest definition of what love is. It has to include the word sacrifice. You cannot talk about love without this choice to sacrifice or put yourself out there for another person. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And then the following is, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. 1 John 3.16 tells us that the way that we obey this has to be sacrificial. This is not a feeling. This is a choice. Okay, so now we have to move on to choosing uh, to love God's way. It's quite natural for you and I to say the, the way that we you know, express, our, uh, express our relationship with God is to say, I love God, right? That is the definition of your understanding of your relationship with God is that I love you, Lord, right? That's what the psalmists say. And that's what, I mean, we hear that phrase and that's how we have defined the relationship is your love or your adoration to God himself. However, if we continue to look at that phrase, that's actually a really bad definition or that's a bad source of the very foundation of your, crea- your Christianity is your love for God because there's actually something that precedes that, right? There is actually something that precedes that fact is, is, is something else, is that God first loved you. The only way that you can love God is for you to first love God. There's something that precedes your choice to love God is the fact that God's choice is to love you first. It's not in your adoration. It's the fact that God adores you first and foremost. But then if you look at the phrase, God loves you, there's actually something that precedes the fact that God loves you and me. There's a fact that that's also incomplete. And that's also not the source of the relationship. There's something that precedes that. And it's the fact that God's very nature and character, the very DNA of who he is, is love. So his character is love that allows him to say, I love you, that allows you to reciprocate and say, God, I love you. And so we have to get that direction or that pathway first that it starts, it intimates with God that allows him to express himself, that allows you to return the favor. 
And so this is what we will see in, in that. So we will say this. Uh, how do we choose to obey that this is God's path? Is we first have to ask who God is. Verse 7 and 8 says this. This is 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, uh, I'm actually, I'll, let's do it here. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. See that? We love others, right? Because God, the love is from God. But whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so you just trace the argument backwards and you will see this progression. Part of God's way is he's love, his expression of love first, and then we are able to express our love to him and back to him. So who is God? God is love. And the word here is agape. He has chosen you. He has picked you. He has chosen no matter what your inadequacies are or your sin trials are. He says you are special to me and he walks towards you. So the second question we ask is this, not just who is God, but how does he love? And this gets interesting. So we understand that God is love. And the second thing is, how does he do that? What does it look like? Verse 9, in this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. This is another kind of redefinition. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How does God love us? He loves us by sending his one and only son to earth to become the propitiation for us our sins. This is who he is. So, so the direction is that God is love, but how does he do that? By expressing sacrifice or substitution on our behalf. Propitiation is a big word, right? And especially propitiation for our sins. May want to take some notes here. Propitiation is simply the word for satisfaction. The word for satisfaction. When God looks on us for whatever reason, he looks and he says, he's got all smiles. He's like, that's my boy. God is completely satisfied with us. Why? Because his wrath and his judgment and his anger towards sin has been appeased in Christ Jesus. Appeasement for something that we did, he's now smiling and satisfied with us. In the same way that um, maybe we take a plate of cookies to our mom's house when we killed her house plants while she was on vacation, right? Hoping that she won't like, like, like give us the death stare or the point. That's, that's appeasement. That's satisfaction. The way that she's like, oh, darling, that's okay. I hated those plants anyway. <gasps> that's satisfaction. That's appeasement. But think about that on cosmic terms. A holy and just God who is breathing down because of our sin immediately goes, that's okay, honey. And the reason he's able to do that is because he gave his own son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction, the appeasement for our sins. This is the way of love. And guess what? This is the way of love. This is the trajectory. This is the path. This is the journey that he is about to welcome us on as well. 
the idea of covering us. And so how does this impact us? Um, it impacts us on verse 11 and 12. It says this. Beloved, if God so loved us, and he does, we also, we are also, uh, we also ought to love one another. God is welcoming us on a journey of love. To obey the greatest commandment is love. The path of God is through the filter of love. And we cannot look at the word love again with only emotional feelings. This now has to be linked with this idea of choice and a sacrificial choice. Because of this propitiation, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love, his love is perfected in us. He is taking us someplace. This is where we are going. We are being perfected in his love. His love is agape. Agape is a choice. A choice to do what? To sacrifice, to give up our lives for others. To take a step of suffering is taking a step toward obedience, which is more often than not a death to yourself so that Christ Jesus can live over and over and over again. Lastly, we get to see a demonstration of this love, a picture, a realization of what it means to actually live a sacrificial kind of life. We've read it twice now. It's important because we're about to read it a third time because this is a great definition of what love is. And so you need to know this definition for love so you can understand what it means to obey God. Okay, got it? All right, this is it. 1 John three sixteen. Star it, memorize it, give it to your kids, put it on your pillow, emboss it on your wristwatch. I don't care. This is it. This is how we know what agape is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Agape equals love. This is it. Jesus Christ, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Guess what John just did? He just linked the greatest commandments. To love God is to love others. And now they're on the same footing. This is how we love, is to actually to understand what it means that when he laid down his life, guess what we do? We choose to lay down our lives for him. It doesn't stop there. 1 John 4, 9 says this, love and agape, God's own agape was revealed, this is Jesus, was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world. How did God love us truly and completely? By choosing a sacrifice, by choosing to send his son in our place. And this is the type of life that we have to walk into. Romans 5.8 says this. Now God demonstrated his agape. This is the true picture for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you starting to get the ingredients of what it means to live the Christian life, to live the J-curve, to go able to walk down strategically, faithfully, out of obedience down. It means that you're going to have to lay down your life in the same way that Jesus laid down his life for us. First John 4, 11. Beloved ones, 
If God so loved, agape us, we ought to agape one another. He's blending these worlds together. He's showing us what it means to live the Christian life. To let Christ's power and life encourage us. Lastly, 1 John 3. Or, sorry, this is just the Gospel of John 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this new commandment I give to you. And guess what? The very first word out of the new commandment. Jesus gives it a new commandment. That's a big deal. He starts with, you guessed it, he starts with agape. Love one another as I have agaped you. So also you must agape one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Agape one another. This is an invitation to step toward death. A choice to sacrifice your life for the sake of other people and for the sake of God himself. At Redstone Church, there's three words, not two. Redstone is not a descriptor of a, a stone. So it's not a stone that's red. It's two words, two capital letters. Red Stone Church, all right? So Redstone Church. Our name is our story. And our story is no more or no less what you have been hearing for the last four weeks, that he is welcoming us on the greatest journey ever told or ever lived, that he is inviting us on a journey, a way, a path toward Christ-likeness. And that means that we need to be acquainted, too, with the suffering and the sorrows and the grief and the death of Christ Jesus. And so as we proclaim him, we live these truths out in our lives. Not just read, we go down, but we also understand the moment that we truly live. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to life and obedience because he will lift us up and he will put our feet on a solid rock, which is Christ Jesus. We are, we are known by Red Stone Church, the body and blood and death of Jesus, but also that death and sin could not be conquered, but was defeated on Easter morning when the stone of remembrance was rolled away and we will praise him for living, not just dying. And the Great Commission to go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded of you. And the command of Jesus is the command of us. What he did, we also are welcomed into, is that we know that what it means to be loved by God, and that we too, we will be known that you are my disciples by you loving one another. This is how we make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. Not just waiting for suffering to come upon us, but reorienting our life, every fiber of our beings to lay down our lives for others. On the top and the bottom of 1 John 3.16, which is the definition of now what love is, you get a glimpse of enemies and you're going to get a glimpse for those who have need. And what 1 John is asking us is to look toward your enemies 
who hate you and despise you. And it says, that's the type of people that Jesus laid down his life for you, who will hate you for the very core of your being. But then below that definition, he will then talk about he who has need. How can we just walk past them in a very practical way, the way that we love others is not just loving our enemies, but loving those who will never be able to repay you. This is the heart of a disciple maker, to come and walk alongside others, not wanting anything in return, and then also standing up strong and with faith and obedience against the course correction of this world who will hate you for your beliefs in Christ Jesus. This is how we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, is understanding the new commandment, which stops and starts with agape. Let's lay down our lives. What would it look like if men and women and children, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and college students, the singles, single adults and marrieds, young marriage without children, marriage with children, grandparents, all disciples who make disciples who are laying down our lives because of this agape love that's a choice to sacrifice our lives for everything because Jesus is worth it. Who cares if we empty our lives and we become nothing? Who cares because we have Jesus who laid down his very life for us? Let's go and let's do it. It and let's be passionate about it and let's join the life and the journey of what Jesus has done for us. Let's mimic and parallel his life. Amen? Let's be those people who cast off the cares of this world, who becomes the new creation. The old is gone and this is now the definition of the new. It's not about morality or coming to church. It's laying down your life in obedience to Jesus and for the sake of those around you who cannot pay you back and may hate your guts. This is how you'll know, they will know, that you are my disciples. It's my guess is very few of our lives, mine included, looks like this. And so maybe, just maybe today, August 25th, was our, all of our wake-up calls. That maybe we've just, we've pivoted towards something but maybe it's just a title. Maybe it's just that you've, have you been a Christian for a while. I would actually have you encouraged to go back to the union with Christ and for us to consider a relationship with Jesus. That because we are now in him and he is now in us, he's going to take us on a journey that will parallel his life. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you laid down your life for us. This is what you did. And this, is what you, and this is what you want us to reflect in. The fact that this is the trajectory of not only your life, but this is the trajectory of ours. Jesus, I want us first and foremost as a body of believers to not be afraid of suffering, but instead to be prepared for the type of suffering that will come on our doorstep or the type of suffering that we choose and we walk toward. Help us to embrace the suffering. I pray now that just because of four weeks of teaching, that we are now equipped to better glorify you and exalt you forever. More importantly this morning is how we will respond. Maybe... Maybe you've never grappled with the fact that Jesus Christ is your propitiation. That, that God himself can smile at you. 
that he will be completely overwhelmed and, and just adore you completely. Oftentimes when we think of God the Father, we, look at, we think of him as, as shame or disappointment on his face. Maybe, just maybe, knowing that God's propitiation, his satisfaction and appeasement is now found in Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, today's a day where you let Jesus carry that weight. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. We would encourage you to trust in Jesus, to consider Jesus this morning, to take the weight, to take the propitiation for our sins, to become our covering. And secondly, maybe you have a, a walk with Jesus, but maybe you've never considered that love is a choice and that choice is always sacrificial. Maybe you've been holding your cards too closely to your chest Maybe you've been playing it too safe. Maybe something inside, 1 John, has awakened your heart and your spirit to choose to agape. Maybe you need to respond and commit that to Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one sitting on the throne right now and you know what is going on in the hearts and the lives of your people. I pray that we are wrecked for your gospel's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.